Before I preach the word this morning, I just want to encourage someone here that it's time for you to trust God and cooperate with God. Atmospheres over your life to shift. I don't know, maybe at the end of the message, maybe I'm going to pray for such people here. I just feel God impressing on my heart. Say to somebody here that it's time you let go of that atmosphere of despondency, atmosphere of hopelessness for someone here, atmosphere of discouragement, atmosphere of, of um, someone here has just been complaining. Yeah, just complaining and complaining. Because the way you end a year is very vital to the way you enter a new one. There are certain atmospheres that should not enter 2020 with you. And it's your responsibility to cooperate with God to speak to atmospheres over your life, to command a shift in the spirit. That's what I'm talking to someone about this morning. Because if you allow it, then it stays. It stays. You continue to romance that atmosphere, and you, you enter into a new season of life with the same atmosphere. In every new season, you have a different atmosphere. Am I saying the truth today? Yeah, in natural things, when there's a new season, there's a different atmosphere. It's a different atmosphere. You can't be trusting God for a new season in your life and then continue to embrace the old atmosphere that has led to despondency, confusion, and lack of progress. So you have to consciously speak to yourself and then cooperate with God because God is ready to bring you into a new season. Say amen, somebody. God is ready to bring you into a new season. But you have to consciously cooperate with God and break every atmosphere and speak to atmospheres to shift. As we were worshiping on Wednesday at the um, last worship experience for the year, it was such a great time. And towards the end, I came out just to exhort briefly. And the Holy Spirit just imparted on my heart to speak to people here to choose to rejoice on a daily basis. And I remember the, 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 the analogy I used, I called people out you know, who are fanatics, you know, who support clubs in the premiership. And the first guy that came up, I said, if your club, you know, just scored the winning goal, what would you? He said, I would shout. I said, you, you are saying it. If you are a real fan, you do it. And he was still looking at me, so I was stood into glory. Look for somebody else. Yeah. And some guy came. <laughs> I think it was Votu. Came out, and before I even finished speaking, you see the way he was shouting. And, you know, the impression of my heart is one of the ways you change atmospheres is that you are deliberate about your own action. You can't wake up in the morning despondent and just, just take it like that and allow it to follow you to the rest of the day. So you get back home, you are, you are cantankerous. You can't smile at your children. You are frowning at your wife, you know, or your husband, as the case may be. And then you, you, you want the atmosphere to change. There's a way to push the atmosphere. It's the attitude of gratitude and joy. Are you still with me today? And sometimes we start in the flesh, we end up in the spirit. <laughs> when, when you are constructing the atmosphere, I mean, when Jesus said he should, uh, when he wanted to turn water to wine in the, in the story of the marriage at the canal of Galilee, they started in the flesh and ended up in the spirit. He said, go and scoop water. This normal thing that you do. Do the normal, do what God expects you to do and let him change water to wine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You have to start with ordinary water. And carry it as if it's wine. Now, things are not okay right now, but it's not by frowning that will make things change. It's by, you know, embracing the oil of joy. Yeah. And somebody hearing me today, you have not shouted in a while. 
This month of December, heaven wants to hear your shout consistently. So all by yourself in the car, driving to work, no police will catch you for shouting. So you just shout. Some of you, you need to prepare your drivers. The, the people here who use drivers. You need to prepare your drivers that this month, I will do some strange things. Just understand, there's no problem. Just tell it, there's no problem. This is between me and God. So forget it, okay? You just keep driving. Yeah. So that the driver will not enter ditch. You know, you understand what I'm saying? That's what happened. Because all of a sudden, you just remember, I've not shouted today. Hallelujah! And then you say, oh God, are you okay? I'm okay. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> the atmosphere is shifting in somebody's life today. This month of December will lead to a new atmosphere in your life. Somebody's making a choice to rejoice. Somebody's making a choice to shift the atmosphere. Somebody's making a choice to turn something around. And you are stepping into a new year with a new atmosphere. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Someone who believes this morning shall they believe in Amen. Glory be to Jesus. One more time, put your hands together, celebrate Jesus today. Hallelujah. Praise God. I said praise God. This morning, we'll, we'll take the last, uh, last message of the series that we've been on for a while. And that is the series that we've titled, uh, Set Apart. Can you let me look at your neighbor and ask them, what, what have you learned from the series? And please make sure you get some answer this morning. <laughs> I'll give you one minute to get the answer. Tell your neighbor, I'm not joking. I'm just, I'm asking. <laughs> Praise God. So did you get any answer? What have you learned from the series? Can I get an answer from somebody? Right straight up. Somebody who is bold. Yes, ma'am. What have you learned from this? We're all priests. Okay. Another person. Yes, ma'am. I'm daddy's cop. That was from last Sunday message. Yeah. If you're not here, you need to get the message. That one is coded. You won't understand it easily. Um, I need a man this time around. There are men in church, right? Yeah. From that side, what have you learned from this message? Can I see a sure man? Any man, any bold man from that side who has been consistent in church? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Said, I don't need an intermediary between me and God. We are all kings and priests of the most high God and you don't need an intermediary between you and God. Praise God. I said praise God. So we'll continue in that message this morning. Glory be to Jesus. And we will um, read from Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and the book of Second Peter where we have been reading from Second Peter chapter 2. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 1. Can you put that up for me? Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 1. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 1. The Bible says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Appointed for men 
in things pertaining to God. Can I read that one more time? Appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Verse 2. Verse 2. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. And verse 3 says, because of this is required, because of this is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sin. And I love the last one, verse 4. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was called. He who is called by God, just as Aaron was called. And we, we have emphasized the fact that God has called each and every one of us as kings and priests. And we have an assignment from God to do the things that God has prepared us to do, to be a person who can stand in the presence of God, who has access. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, where we just read, referred to precedents from the Old Testament as to the office of a priest. And we said in the Old Testament we had what was called a Levitical priesthood, which had to do with a set of people who had been chosen to serve God in the temple, and Aaron and his children, who are also uh, had been commissioned by Moses, specially to be priests unto God, Aaron being the high priest. We said in the New Testament, the order is different. The order, if you remember the first message, was the order of Melchizedek. And we said that in Genesis 14, we read the story of Melchizedek for the first time. The first mention of the priesthood in the Bible was in Genesis 14, where Abraham went and fought a battle, won the battle, rescued Lot, who had been carried away captive by many kings, like three or four kings came together. You could, it's akin to uh, either boardroom politics or uh, governmental uh, uh, national issues. Abraham, God blessed him so much, he became a superpower that could defeat three kings coming together to fight another king. And he just showed up because he had a stake in there. The Bible says in Genesis 14, 14, that Abraham uh, carried uh, 318 trained servants that were trained in his house. And God gave him victory. And when he was coming back, Christ appeared to him. Because we remember, we said that Melchizedek is Christophany, a pre-appearance of Christ before Christ came on the scene. And he was called the priest of the Most High God who had no beginning of day, no end of day. That was the first appearance of a priest in the Old Testament, and he gave Abraham uh, uh, bread and wine, and Abraham gave him a tithe of everything, and he blessed Abraham. He said, blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, he said, who has given you victory today. So from there, we see the priesthood of Melchizedek, which has nothing to do with family lineage, with anything apart from the fact that God calls people. God calls people. So, in 2 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, when you read verse 9, the Bible says that, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
In comparison, comparison with the Old Testament, in the New Testament, all of us have access to God. You don't have to be a Levite or a son of Aaron by birth to be a priest. We're just like the first priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is just anybody. Just anybody at all. And that was how Christ came too. Christ was not born into the family of Aaron, nor was he a Levite. And when he was calling the disciples, he did not go to the house of Aaron to call them. He just called everybody that was available. And that gave us an idea of what God is doing in our generation and in this dispensation, which is that anybody can approach God. Anybody can foster a relationship with God. Anybody can hear from God. We emphasize the fact that pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, people with five-fold ministry offices in church are like coaches and spiritual fathers to nurture New Testament priests. They're not necessarily supposed to hear for us, but to train us, to coach us, and to help us to engage the will and the purposes of God for our lives. But we are priests, just like any other believer. So the New Testament uh, emphasizes the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. And I have access, just like you have access. The big question is, what are you doing with your access? What are you doing with your access? That's a big question that we need to ask ourselves all the time. What am I doing with my access? What am I doing with my access? Uh, we emphasize the need for consecration as one of the attributes of a priest, that the priest has to consecrate himself. And we emphasize the need for purity. And we live in a time where impurities abound from time to time. And that you need to constantly keep yourself pure. We spoke about the outbreak of Ebola as an example of a good time where people were more conscious of keeping themselves pure. That before you get into a place, you use the sanitizer. You use, you know, uh, just being conscious that there's an outbreak in town. Can I say it to you this morning? There's also an outbreak in town spiritually. Men, men's hearts are becoming ardent towards God. Things that are sacred are now called things that are common. People are losing respect for the sacred. Our world is becoming more secular. So secular humanism is prevailing day by day. It's an impurity that all of us need to keep ourselves from. And be conscious, like I see there's an Ebola in town. There's an outbreak, for instance, of, of drug addiction, of sexual addiction. Rape is on the increase. And there's some good people who have been infected because they did not protect their hearts. Are you still with me today? I said, are you still with me today? And that's why it's necessary for each and every one of us to pay attention. Holiness is not automatic. It doesn't come to me. I, I don't just become holy because I'm giving my life to Christ. No. No. I have to consciously present myself in a certain manner. Last Sunday, we ended up with a teaching on the practice of righteousness. That we need to practice righteousness. That we are not... Uh, 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 righteousness is a gift from God and it's a nature. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you know, he said, except a man be born again. Anytime you hear born, it means there's a change of nature. For you to have a new nature, there has to be a birth, a new birth, a rebirth. Any other thing can change without a rebirth, but nature can only change when there is a bad thing. So in New Testament Christianity, we talk about a rebirth, being born again. We are speaking to the subject of nature. Nature, nature, and nature is very important because it plays a limit on what you can do. Plays a limit on what you can do. That's why a dog is not expected to walk on two, because a dog, 
And he's not supposed to be able to talk the way I'm doing right now. Even if they took him, took it to White House or anywhere. You saw a dog this week that they recognized America, and I celebrate that. It's a society where they recognize both human and animals the same way. If you have the right, you know, skill sets and all that, which is good. It's meritocracy. It's good. So I'm not bashing that at all. I just need to understand. All I'm saying is that that dog has celebrated as he, he, he is with President Trump and all that in his lifetime. Cannot preach a powerful message like I'm doing this morning. <laughs> Nature places a limit on what it can do. Yeah. Nature has placed a limit. For that dog to speak the way I'm speaking now, that dog has to be born again. Yeah. And I don't mean it in a religious manner. I mean it in a biological manner. Are you see, hearing me this morning? Yeah. So it's the same thing when it comes to new birth experience. It's a nature issue. And we say we have the nature of God in us when we submitted our life to Jesus Christ. How do we keep practicing God's nature and not the habits that we're used to? Because if you choose not to practice righteousness, you will keep practicing the habit that you are used to. You are not your habits. You are your nature. Yeah. You need to get next, last Sunday's message. Let me wrap it all up this morning. I've done all this for the purpose of ensuring that there's learning going on here. We're not here for game. Yeah. And some of us are in the habit of never listening to any message again or reading the Bible on our own and all that. You're not going to grow like that. Let's tell ourselves some home truth. This is a church where learning has to continue because we are raising disciples for Christ. We want to be proud of you when you become a governor, that you will do the right thing and you will not invest with money because we have been taught. You have been taught here. Yeah, when you become CEO of a company, we want to be proud of you that you will do the right thing. And the only way that will happen is that it's what you eat that, we, that you fly with, like we say in my language. Yeah. If you don't have something, you know, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't have a right foundation, when pressure comes on you, you misbehave. And this is where we lead the foundation. Because some of us here, you know, no matter what I say, come to a class, let's teach more and all that, you won't show up. So as much as possible, I try to teach on Sunday morning. But as we go into the new year, I'm going to demand on you, place a demand on you to, to ask yourself the question, how am I going to grow spiritually this new season? We're going to recommend courses, recommend books, recommend different things outside of the regular service that you need to embrace to be able to grow. Yeah. You need to embrace to be able to grow. That's why now we're going to pay more attention to know that learning is going on and you're not just coming to church. Yeah. So I don't mind dedicating one service to recap everything because there's no point (laughs) that we preach every Sunday and nobody's reckoning with the details of everything, to be able to think about it again and live by it. Is this okay? I said, is this okay? Tell your neighbor, ask your neighbor, I hope you are growing. All right. As we wrap up this message this morning, the last uh, maybe about 15 minutes that I have left, I will speak to the subject of sacrifice. We've titled this The Blessing of sacrifice, the subject of sacrifice. According to Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 1, that the main thing, one of the main assignments of a priest is to offer sacrifices. Is to offer sacrifices. The Bible says a priest stands, can you give me Hebrews 5 and verse 1? The, 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 the priest, it says, taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Appointed for men in things pertaining to God. 
One of the things that I'm going to talk about, maybe three or four areas of sacrifice. Because a, a priest, if, you, if I see myself as a priest, coupled with all that I've said today, is that a priest must be the one that is always prepared to stand before God to offer something, to offer sacrifices on behalf of himself and the people. That's what the scripture says, on behalf of himself and the people. In the New Testament, we are not intermediaries, but we can carry out intercession. Yeah, we can carry out intercession. We can stand in the gap for other people just of our own volition, but we are not a substitute for them. In the Old Testament, no one comes into the most holy place apart from the priest. In the New Testament, the veil of the temple has been turned into two. The most holy place, the presence of God is open to everyone. So all of us can go there, and when I stand in his presence, I can intercede for other people. But it doesn't preclude them. It doesn't stop them from being able to come. Are you still with me? Just in a way of clarifying that. So intercession for others is very important in the New Testament. Um, as believers, we are to sacrifice our convenience and look beyond our personal needs and intercede for others. Intercede for others. Intercession saves lives, restores hope, Removes challenges and moves God. That's what it does. It saves life, it restores hope, removes challenges, and it moves God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and stand in the gap, he said, I will heal their nation, I will heal their land, I will heal their land. So most of what uh, uh, priests uh, did was done on behalf of other people, like I said. They offer sacrifices to God on behalf of others. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 18 down to 20, we'll read there an injunction. Can you put it up for me, please, quickly? Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 18. Praying always with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication to all, I mean, for all the saints. Perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And Paul writing here, he said, and for me, he's saying, the church, pray for me also and for me that all trans may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Make known the mystery of the gospel. When was the last time you prayed for your spouse? Very important. You can't be complaining about someone and not praying for them. Yeah. When was the last time you prayed for your pastor? Yeah. When was the last time you prayed for your church? When was the last time you prayed for the establishment where you work? That was if we pray, prayers should be made for kings and everyone in authority that we may live a godly and peaceable life. Because if a demon enters the head of your CEO, it's going to affect everybody. Yeah. Many organizations have crashed just because someone misbehaved badly. But you are a Christian in that organization. Have you opened your mouth before to pray for the CEO or the chairman of the board? Because they have to make decisions that affect your life. You may say, I'll get another job, but somebody said it last year, and they're still looking for another job right now. Yeah, it's not that easy. It's easier to pray than to say, if they mess up, I'll just go away and get another job. <laughs> it's easier to pray. Intercede. The Bible says prayer must be offered for kings and everyone in authority. 
So pray for the nation. Pray for your, uh, for your company. Pray for your church. Pray for your family. Pray especially for your spouse if you are married. That's a big issue with people praying for their spouses. And I don't know. The devil just blinds our minds. It's the easiest thing for us to do is to complain about our spouses. But to open our mouth and say, God bless Polariwa. Everything that is not according to your will in her life, Lord, turn it around. Make her a wife that will make me happy. <laughs> is that difficult to do? And just bless her that her dreams will be fulfilled. That God will keep her alive and strong. That she will enjoy peace. That's not difficult at all. But most, I mean, if we take a poll right here this morning, you understand what I'm talking about. Get on the road there. Get to work tomorrow and take a poll. How many Christians pray for their spouses? Yeah. You will be shocked to see what, you, what, what, what the result will be. Many people pray for breakthrough, but you don't know if your spouse breaks down. There's no, <laughs> there's no breakthrough. Your spouse broke down, that's it. Yeah. Glory be to Jesus. It's very important that we, we, we recognize that Samuel, uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23, the prophet Samuel said, you know, uh, he, he considered it a sin not to pray for the people, not to pray for the people. If you're a leader in this church, you're a connect group leader, you're, you're supposed to be able to pray uh, for other people. In Acts chapter 12, Acts of the Apostles chapter 12, uh, Peter was put in prison, and the Bible says prayer was made consistently. Verse 5 of Acts of the Apostles chapter 12, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer was offered to God, I mean, by the church on his behalf. And you saw the, the result of that was that, 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 that Peter was set free. I mean, there was, a, there was a miraculous escape for him from the prison. Many people are in prison today around us because we refuse to pray. Because when people are going through stuff, sometimes they are not able to pray for themselves. They have access, but they couldn't maximize it because of the emotion of the moment. And the Bible says those of us who are strong must bear the infirmities of them that are weak and not to please ourselves. Yeah. So you need to understand, somebody just lost a loved one. They can't pray. It's difficult to pray. You need to pray for them. That's the work of a priest. You need to pray for them. Somebody just lost a business, lost an opportunity. They're so, you know, emotionally unstable. They can't pray that time. You need to pray for them. Are you still here today? Glory be to Jesus. Also, another sacrifice that we need to emphasize this morning is a sacrifice of our will. It's a sacrifice of, you know, standing in the gap for people in intercession. Also, the sacrifice of our will. And this is very important. Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, you read the story of Mary. The story of Mary. Big question this morning, can God interrupt your plan? Is it God enough in your life to interrupt your plan? You know, there are some people here, your CEO can interrupt your plan anyhow. You could leave the service this morning, get a, a WhatsApp message or a text message from your CEO and says, there's a meeting in Abuja tomorrow at noon and I need you to be there and that meeting will last three days. So all your plan for this week, gone. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. And except you have another job, you can't say, okay, I have a date on Tuesday night, I have this. All that is gone. All you need to do next is to send messages to all the other people. No, I'm sorry, plans just changed. I have to be out of town this week. That's it. Now, God is bigger than your CEO. God is bigger than any human being around your life right now. Can he have the same prerogative to, to just mess up your plan so that your life can be better? 
Because when he does that, it's because he wants your life to be better. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, that's what we saw. A young lady just living her own life, planning to get married in peace, everything, and she has kept herself. You know, she's saying, oh, I'm, 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 there are no Christians. Those days. I want to say I'm a Christian. <laughs> Mary was not a Christian as at that time. She was just a godly person. Yeah. Um, um, you know, and all of a sudden, God interrupted her plans and God showed up and said, you're going to get pregnant. From where to where? God pregnant? No. You know, how? And everything just changed. Everything changed at that moment. Sacrifice of our will. What, it, what was Mary's response when the angel spoke to her? Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be unto me according to your word. When was the last time? I mean, a priest is one that says anything, God, anything, anything. I can sacrifice my will. I can sacrifice, you know, whatever, my plans. I can, I can allow you to interrupt my life. God can place a demand on you that will last the next two years and interrupt everything that you've planned for the next two years. And you say, yes, Lord. That's a priest. That's a priest. Many believers today are not living that kind of life again. It has to be good. It has to, uh, money has to come out of it. It has to make sense because not every decision that God, everything that God wants to do with your life will make sense in the moment. Yeah. If you're truly a person that wants to walk in the Spirit, not everything that the Holy Spirit will be telling you will make sense in the moment. But in the by and by, it starts to make sense. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. There has to be another way to get this thing done. It's just to redeem humanity. Nobody has to be hurt. Nobody has to die for that. You are God. You can change this thing. You can turn it around. You can walk around it. Those were the kind of prayer that Jesus was praying to God, because it dawned on him that this is not going to be easy. You know, this is pain. This is, you know, rejection. This is everything put together in one. Yeah. And are these people even worth it? <laughs> because I've experienced them, and I've seen how cantankerous they are, a bunch of knuckleheads. Can we change our mind and find something easier, you know, to do? But at the end of the day, it says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Can you sacrifice your will? That's what it means to be a Christian, to be Christ-like. Jesus sacrificed his will so that the will of the Father could prevail. Can you sacrifice your will? And in what areas have you been sacrificing your will? That's what makes you a priest, a real priest. Embracing a sense of calling and making life choices in line with God's will is the highest form of living. I want us to read that as a church. One, two, go. God's will is the highest form of living. This is the highest form of living. Yeah. Embracing God's will, a sense of calling, and making life choices in line with God's will is the highest form of living. The highest form of living. The highest form of living. That was how Christ lived. It's the highest form of living. Life is full of multiple options, choices, you know, made by believers, must align with the universal will of God as revealed in scriptures and personal revelation through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. must align with the universal will of God as revealed in the scriptures and as personal revelation from the Holy Spirit as we walk with the Holy Spirit. So God will, will 
God's will, uh, I need to emphasize this also, God's will is not a choice between wealth and poverty. No. It is choosing to fulfill your purpose. It's a very profound statement. God's will is not a choice between wealth and poverty. That's how some people see it all the time. Anytime you hear God's will, it cannot be good. That's what some people feel. If you see a single person, you say, pray for the will of God in your marriage. What they think is the will of God will be ugly, broke, and all that. And possibly, uh, um, you know, or whatever. Or bad things will be the will of God. That's, that's the enemy programming the mind of believers wrongly. To have phobia for the will of God. And the best place to be in my life at time is to be in the center of God's will. That's where all the good things are. Are you still with me today? That's where peace is guaranteed. That's where joy is guaranteed. In his process, is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. That's what the scripture says. Are you still here today? Glory be to Jesus. Somebody say, I'm not afraid of God's will. Say, God's will for my life is my pleasure. That's what I want to do. Say it again. Say, that's what I want to do. Sacrifice of time. Talk about sacrifice you know, in terms of intercession, sacrifice uh, um, of our will, also sacrifice of time. Your priesthood will cost you some time. Time in his presence, time for service, time for different things that you need to do. You can't just be a priest and it doesn't cost you time. In the Old Testament, the priest is required to go into the temple for instance, twice a day, read in Exodus, Exodus 28. Yeah. Twice a day, offer sacrifices, offer all kinds of things. Then once a year, on behalf of the entire nation, to offer sacrifices. The priest has to be painstaking about the priesthood garment. I know that's serious. We're going to look at that. Yeah, I thought we were going to be able to do that in this series, but we couldn't. Priesthood garment. I mean, there were descriptions of how a priest should look. That would take time. That, that takes, you know, being... Being conscious of God's calling on our lives. Whatever you have to do to maximize your access and to remain a priest will take you time. Yeah. Will take you time. Sometimes a priest is like a waiter. The waiter does not complain about how much time it takes me to wait on a guest. Yeah. When we say we want to wait on the Lord, that's what it means. You need to tell yourself, I don't mind waiting. Waiting on the Lord. Just waiting. Just waiting on him. To cost you time. To cost you time to serve God. Yeah. Some people, if you look at how you have spent your time in 2019, and we just do a, a, a pie chart of it, and we say, how much of this time is relevant to the kingdom of God? It's very important. Where your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. Yeah. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Part of your treasure is your time. If your heart is in God's kingdom, it will cost you some time. Yeah. How much of, if you do that pie chart when you get home, how much of your time leads to kingdom advancement? Practically. Whether on one-on-one touching lives or collectively as a corporate body through a church touching lives. It's very important because it will cost you time. Last day today, my time is up. Last day today, sacrifice of our substance. Sacrifice of our substance. Sacrifice of our substance. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. 
the book of Malachi was written to priests and people who stand before God on behalf of the nation. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. Verse 9 says, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now. In this, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that it will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. God was very particular about the explanation of what will happen when you sacrifice for him. This scripture, I mean, this Malachi was written to the nation of Israel and more so a part of it to the priest. Now, in the New Testament, God doesn't call us robbers. Neither does he say that we're cursed with a curse. But the truth is that not sacrificing for God with your substance robs you of a lot. No one is powerful enough to sponsor the kingdom. God is not looking for sponsors. He's looking for people that he wants to bless. There are two different things. Are you still with me today? Some people think without you, God will not be able to do what he wants to do. God needs people, quite all right. But if he says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, and I hold a, a thousand cattle upon a thousand hills, what he was trying to say is that I hold all the resources in the world. I don't need a sponsor. I'm only looking for people to be blessed. I'm, I'm looking for channels. Channels where the robber will make the road, where I convert heavenly blessings to earthly blessing and pass it through people's hands. And those are people that I can trust to honor me with their substance. So the scripture says, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of all of your increase. What's the difference between Abel and Cain and Abel in the scriptures? Uh, Abel, the Bible says, offered a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. A better sacrifice than his brother. And what happened? God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's sacrifice. What's the difference? I'm going to permit me today between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice. Next year, I'm going to maybe do a little bit more on this. We're going to run a series on this. Abel's sacrifice was the best, the first and the best. Cain's sacrifice, can you look for the scripture for me? Don't sleep on me. Look for, for, for the scripture for me and put it up. Cain's sacrifice was just something. And a lot of people are accustomed to bring just something. Yeah. Cain also brought off the proceeds of the ground. Just something. Abel's sacrifice, the Bible says, he brought also, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. Can you look at message translation or New Living Translation for me? Firstborn. It was particular. He gave God the first and the robust fat. Abel also brought gift, the best portion of the firstborn lamb from the flock. Give me message translation. 
I just want you to note that because in this time, there has been a lot of talk about Titan and how it's no longer relevant and all that, and nothing can be further from the truth. God is looking for people who will work with him in the integrity of their hearts. God is not looking for anybody's money. You can't sponsor the kingdom. Yeah. He is in control of wealth. The wealth. You know, <laughs> I, I look at people in this church sometimes and I just laugh. People who come to church all the time and see things happening, and they behave as if they're not supposed to be part of kingdom things and kingdom projects and how things happen in God's house. And you just use your mouth to, I mean, to confess the fact that you are a child of God and you are kingdom. And when we look at your resources, it's, we can't say that this is what you sacrifice for the kingdom. Yeah. Your life is too small to be the consumer of all resources that God will bring into your life. Your life is too small to be the focus of your life. There has to be many other things why you exist. And part of it is to be kingdom relevant and to touch lives. Time passed, Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his farm. That was all they had to say about Cain's offering. Abel also brought an offering, both from the firstborn animals of his herd. Choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering didn't get his approval. Simple. You know, theologians have said things like, oh, it's because this one has blood. That one did not have blood. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. It's the heart. And whether it has honor in it, whether there's a sense of sacrifice to it. Abel said, this, 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 I'm going to give from the first. The first. Yeah. In those days, the understanding was that the first is a carrier of most strength. Yeah. The first to come out. It's as if all the other ones that come after, they're not as strong as the first. And he said, that first is what I'm going to give to God. That's what I'm going to give to God. That's what I'm going to give to God. It's very important. Something to note when giving to God is that you should have a stewardship mindset. Have a stewardship mindset when giving to God. And what's a stewardship mindset? Like I said, we're going to drill down on this a lot next year. But the stewardship mindset, all that we have and all that we have belong to God. That's the stewardship mindset. If you don't get anything out of this message this morning, just get this. All that I am and all that I have, they all belong to God. That's the stewardship mindset. I'm a steward and not the owner of my life and my resources. So God is going to hold me accountable. The Bible says it's required in stewardship that a man be found faithful. Yeah. So God, God is going to hold me accountable. Hold me accountable for the resources that he passed through my hands to see whether I've been a good steward of his resources. Giving makes you vulnerable and dependent on God. Your confidence should not be in your bank account. It should be in God. You see, why I will never stop tithing forever. Anytime I do a transfer, I write a check. <laughs> it happens to me this past week. Tight, you know, seeds, different things. By the time I finished, I was looking at it. About 30, 35% of my income has already gone. Different places where I sow seed, different people I take care of. And I was like, so God, you just have to suck me out. It just brings you back to God. 
Yeah. Where, where, where is your sense of dependency? Is it your account balance or the God who brings the money? Yeah. Because it's a child that forgets benefits at all. You give a child something and you say, can I get a little of it? And you say, no, 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 no. no. That's a child. And that's how many of us behave. And we claim that it's because we have too many needs. Yeah. And God knows you have all those needs. But it says, seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then all these other things shall be added. Part of how you seek the kingdom of God is to make sure that you are represented in that kingdom with your resources. Glory be to Jesus. The quality of your gift matter, like I said about Cain and Abel, the quality of your gift matter. It matters. David said, I will not offer to God that which cost me nothing. And give generously. Sacrificial giving is a lifestyle of the priests. And give with the right heart. And lastly today, please don't forget, your life is too small to be the focus of your life. Your life is too small to be the focus of your life. Yeah. Your life is too small to be the focus of your life. What else does he have in mind concerning my life? That's how a priest would think. I'm a priest. I'm in service. I have not retired. And I will never retire until we see Jesus face to face. Yeah. Until we see him face to face, there's no retirement for every priest. It's not a vocation. It's a calling. Yeah. If I remain a priest... I must be seeking to hear what he has in mind for my life, for people around me, for my resources, and for everything around me. Lift your two hands to Jesus this morning and declare again, Jesus, I want to make you and your, your kingdom and your will for me the focus of my life. I agree again this morning that my life is too small to be the focus of my life. There has to be something bigger. There has to be something else that you have in mind. Have your way in my life, Jesus. Have your way in my life, Jesus. Have your way in my life, Jesus. And Lord, as we wrap up this series today, we ask that you raise a fresh awareness and consciousness of our priesthood in our hearts this season. That we are not just priests, we are a royal priesthood. That we have authority in you, we have access to you, but we will be held responsible for our access, for our authority. And we ask, Lord, today in the name of Jesus, that you cause somebody's heart to open to the seed of your word that has been sown today, that this seed may find a place to grow, to germinate and to bring forth fruits. Thank you for fruits of righteousness. Thank you for fruits of consecration. Thank you for fruits of dedication. Thank you for fruits of peace, fruits of generosity, fruits of Christ-likeness that will grow out of the life of your sons and daughters. Thank you, everlasting Father. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And Lord, I speak over atmospheres, over people's lives here. I speak to the atmosphere of confusion, and I command you to go now in the name of Jesus. I speak to atmosphere of hopelessness. And I command an end to your operation in that life. I command you atmosphere shift in the name of Jesus. I speak to atmosphere of gloominess and discouragement. I declare that your hold is broken right now. 
I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. And I command you, shift in the name of Jesus Christ. And I command a release of the oil of joy this morning. I command a new atmosphere. Atmosphere of favor. Atmosphere of joy. Atmosphere of excitement. Atmosphere of anticipation. Atmosphere of hope. Of divine expectancy. Of the things that only God can do. Will you wave your hands to Jesus all over this place today and just bless him? Father, we thank you. 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 We thank you.